Well, thank you. Why don't we pray together and then we'll get into the word. God, thank you for today. Um, thank you for the opportunity to share your word. It's always a blessing, but God, today we pray that uh, your word is, is shared um, and that our lives and our hearts are changed. And God, we're thankful for all that you've done for us, for this community, for this church, for their emphasis on Bristol and engaging Bristol. God, we thank you. It's in your son's name. Amen. So you all are in a series called Engage Bristol, and I'm excited to dive into this because we did a similar thing a couple years ago at our church. But let me tell you a little bit about me. I grew up here, um, really came here in sixth grade. Chris had been coming for a couple of, uh, probably a year or two, leading in the worship team. And uh, he said, hey, there's a youth group here, the church that I was at, my grandfather's church. We didn't have any youth there at all. And so I needed to find somewhere where I could get plugged in. And I remember going to TCTC for the first time and going to CIY for the first time and all those moments uh, that were really impactful for me. And being here on Sunday morning and being here Sunday night, Wednesday night here for youth group, man, it really challenged and grew me as someone who was following Jesus and was pretty new to it as a young student. Um, and I was grateful for this church because any opportunity that I had to be able to come up here and share, or to serve, or to be in ministry, this church gave me the opportunity to do it. And when I was thinking about going to Bible college, I went to Johnson University, and uh, this church prayed for me before I went. And they supported me, and they helped me get there, and went to Johnson, and spent four years there, and graduated in 2020, which was a great year to graduate college, right? Uh, it was a great year in general. And so we were basically kicked out of school in March of 2020, and I uh, had to, you know, do online like a lot of uh, your students or your people, um, but graduated. And somehow, for some reason, Poplar Ridge hired somebody in the middle of a pandemic, and I've been the youth pastor there for three, over three and a half years. Um, and it's just been a blessing to see uh, what's happened uh, in this church growing up here, but also, you know, ever since I left and graduated college, uh, I've gotten married uh, to my wife, Maddie. I wish I would have brought a picture. Some of you have seen pictures online, um, but we also have a 14-month-old little girl named Ashton, and it's been the best privilege to figure out what it looks like to be a dad, and I'm not sure I'll ever really figure it out, right? Amen, those dads in the room. Uh, but it's, it's a blessing, and I, I think about the opportunity to be back here, and I was trying to think, and I don't even know the answer to this, of when the last time was that I came to a service. I've been here throughout the week to see Chris or Matt or Mark, but it's been a while since I've been back here, uh, and I would say it's probably been three, four years since I've spoken. It might have been the, the Easter Good Friday service, uh, 2020, which nobody was in the room. It was just online. But I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity for this church to, to be here to speak, and when Chris said, hey, there might be some possibilities of coming in to speak, I'd I said, oh yeah, I'd love to if you have an opportunity in an opening and if I can fill in. And so I'm glad to be here. You're in a series called Engage Bristol. Um, I love it. Uh, we did a series, or really a theme, a couple years ago at our church called Four Piney Plus. Um, and the idea was we want to make sure that we are good neighbors to Piney Flats. That's where our church is. We're up on the hill behind Partners. If you drive up, you'll see a big church up there. Um, but we did a series and a theme called Four Piney Plus, because what we know when we see all throughout Scripture is that you start where you are, right? Dennis talked about this last week. He said you start in the community that you're in, and then you move out. And sometimes we fall into a trap of thinking, okay, I need to go to Johnson City and make an impact, or I need to go to Elizabethton or Knoxville 
But God said, hey, why don't you start where you are, and then once you impact the people there, you can impact the people next door in the next neighborhood. And then we also had, on, on our theme, we had four piney plus. We wanted to be for our community, but then the plus sign was we live in a weird place in Piney Flats because we're kind of a pass-through with a lot of different cities. And so we had people coming from Bristol, Johnson City, Elizabeth, and Kingsport, wherever it was. And the plus indicated your neighborhood or their neighborhood because you are making an impact where you are in your neighborhood. And so wherever you are, start where you are. And I love the theme of engaging Bristol because, man, if we don't engage Bristol, if you don't engage Bristol, then we miss the point, don't we? We missed the point. God says, hey, start where you are. In our church right now, we're doing a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor. Anybody know what that's from? I don't know if I really grew up watching Mr. Rogers. I don't know if that was a part of my generation, but I do know that I've seen some of the shows and just had a a little bit of a reference to Mr. Rogers. But what we've been saying at our church for 2024 is that we want to reach our neighbor. We want to reach our community. It's the same thing. It's just packaged a little different. Because if we're not impacting those people, then we might as well have missed the point. And here's what we've kind of said over the last couple weeks at our church is this, that we need to be the neighbor that we need. And so you need to be the neighbor that you need. Because the truth is this, that you never know what the people around you need, and you never know when you may be, pay attention to this, you never know when you may be in desperate need of someone like you. Like the impact that you're making now, the way that you love one another now, you may need someone to do that for you in hard times in the future. And so be the neighbor that you need. And we can all agree, you know, having good neighbors improves our quality of life, right? And we all want to have good neighbors. And you know what that's like. You know what it's like to have the good neighbors and the bad ones? The good neighbors are great, and sometimes that's your residential neighbors. Sometimes it's your coworkers. Sometimes it's your family. Uh, and you have those good neighbors, and you have those people that you're really excited to be around, but then you also know that you know when you have the bad ones. You know when you have the people who are hard to deal with and really just not easy to be around. But we all have to be really good neighbors. We have to engage Bristol. Uh, there was a family when I was in college. I, I, I left here. I went to college in 2016, and I went to room with a guy that I grew up with. Came to the youth group here, played baseball together, grew up down the street. And after a year, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go and do something else to a different school, and that was fine. Uh, but the next year, I, I had a problem because the first year that I was there, I didn't do a great job of really uh, building other friendships uh, because I knew him and so I didn't really engage with anybody else but I had some acquaintances but when it came to a roommate I was scared because I didn't know what to do and so I roomed by myself for the first semester and any introverts in the room that would love that that was me <laughs> but it also isolated me too much and I was grateful because I had some really good neighbors who said you know what you're not going to stay in your room anymore I need we need to pull you out and so They were just acquaintances at the time, but they saw that I needed good neighbors, and so they pulled me out of my room, and man, that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, because those guys are still guys that I talk to every day. We have a group text, texted in it yesterday. It's every day that we are pouring into one another and loving on one another and making fun of each other, and I remember there was a moment 
My friend Chandler, his family lived about 10 minutes from campus. He lived there. Um, but there was a group of guys, there were all of us, and every single Sunday morning, uh, the Viscardis family, Mama and Papa V is what we called the parents, uh, they opened up their home to do meals with us every Sunday after lunch. Now, we would all go to different churches and different places, but we all knew you were, you were going to Seymour, uh, Tennessee, which is where the house was, to have a meal at the Viscardis house. It was the Sunday uh, family Viscardis meals, and man, it was great. Number one, because I was broke. But number two was the relationships that were built. And man, they were really good neighbors because from my sophomore year on, they opened up their home to us every Sunday if we wanted to come. If we were out of town, it was sad because we wanted to go back and be around the table with them. And it was awesome because it was this group of guys that were there, but also their family. And every week we would go. And around the table, we would uh, build relationships and we would cry together, and we would celebrate together, and there were all these really good moments, and I remember in 2020 thinking, oh my goodness, I hate that this has to end, because there was so much that happened in that house, so much that happened because they understood the need of a college kid. They knew that they needed food, and really, they knew that uh, college kids needed to get away from campus for a bit, and they would say, hey, if we're not home during the week, you can still come over. That's not a big deal. Like, I know that you need a place to get away, and, and this specific couple and family have been a major impact in our life. I mean, Maddie and I, before we even got married, did premarital counseling with them just because we saw how they love people well, and they love Jesus so well, and man, it impacted our lives up until the point where like we still, anytime we tr go up there, we try to make it a point to visit around that table. It makes an impact when you're good neighbors. And I'm thankful for the Viscardis family because they were really good neighbors. And there were those moments where we first brought all of our girlfriends to their house. And then uh, we got married. Or sorry, let me back up. Maddie and I got engaged. Went out to eat after we got engaged and then went to the Viscardis house to have a party and invite people over. A couple years later, we got married and we would go back and visit them. Um, and then it's just really cool and special for me to see our little girl walking around their house. Because in that house, man, it changed our lives. And what they knew is that they needed to engage us and welcome us. They understood our needs. They understood that we needed people to surround us and be with us. And, and they were really good neighbors. And the truth is, there's many pictures of good neighbors all throughout Scripture. And there's a story in Luke chapter 5. It's one of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible. Because it says uh, there was this man and he was paralyzed. He couldn't walk on his own. Couldn't walk. Couldn't do anything on his own. And his friend said, hey, we heard of a guy named Jesus. He's teaching in this house. And I don't exactly know how far away he was. But he, he's teaching in this house. And what we hear about this man is that he can save you and he can heal you and he can change your life. And so I can imagine the paralyzed man who couldn't do anything on his own for a really long time probably thought, yeah, but is it really going to work? And they said, I guess we'll see. And his friends, I would say those good neighbors did everything that they could. They said, hey, we're going to get you to this man no matter what it takes. And so it says in the, in the Bible, in Luke 5, that they got him on a mat and they carried him to this house. If you know the story, you, you've heard this idea of Jesus was teaching there, and the room was full. The house was full. 
And even outside of the doors, there were people all over the place. Like, it was hard to get through. And so they approach the house, and they see all the people. And I just wonder if the man who was paralyzed thought, man, I thought it might work, but now we're not going to even have a chance to get into the room. Because we can't get through the crowd. Anybody been to a concert or game where you can't get through the crowd by yourself? They're carrying a mat. I got a mat. Multiple people. How are they going to maneuver through this crowd of people? There's just no way that it's going to work. And so here's what his friends could have done. They could have said, hey, we tried, but it's just not going to work. I'm sorry. We'll just go back home, and maybe we'll find Jesus another time. And, you know, Jesus went around all over the place. How were they going to find him again? They could have said, it just didn't work. I'm sorry. And I'm sure the man, when he saw the crowd that he wouldn't be able to get through, I'm sure he was like, oh thought it could work. But they had the one friend in the group. Anybody have that one friend that you just know is going to do anything for you? They said, hey, uh, what if, what if we went to the roof of the building and cut a hole in it or pulled out a tile and lowered him down in front of Jesus? And I, if, if I'm there, I'm like, that's not going to work. But that's what they did. And I can't imagine that it would be, uh, it would be pretty difficult to get the man on the roof. I, I would assume the ceilings weren't as high as this because they would have had to have somebody to help get the man down once they got to the roof. But imagine the disturbance. Jesus is teaching in a room like this, and it's packed full, and then something happens in the ceiling where there's a hole, and then a man comes down from the bottom or from the top, can't do anything by himself. And it's interesting what Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, verse 20. He says, when he saw the faith of their, anybody know? Friends. When he saw the faith of his friends, he forgave his sins. And then he said, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now this man, paralyzed, (laughs) couldn't move on his own. Gets up out of the floor off the mat and walks out the crowd that five minutes before he couldn't get through. That's Jesus. That's all because of Jesus. But you know what would have happened? (laughs) You know what could have happened? If his friends didn't say, hey, I heard of a man named Jesus. If they didn't say that, he wouldn't have gotten the help that he needed. And here's the deal. We have to understand the needs of our friends. We have to understand the needs of the people around us. We have to understand the needs of Bristol because when we understand those needs and understand what people are yearning for and longing for, then, man, that's when we can do the ministry. That's when we can serve them. They knew that that friend needed to have help. They understood the need, and so they did everything that they could to get that man to the roof. We're in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And it's interesting to see what's happening in this book. This is kind of your key verse um, in your Engage Bristol series. But all around this passage, this verse, verse 32, it's talking about, you know, they're trying to get David to be king and everything that they can do to help to get that to happen. But it's interesting, if you look at the verses before and after this, it's talking about all these men who were coming with, like, weaponry and they were ready for war and all these things that were happening. But I find it interesting that this is something that happens as they're trying to help David be king. Because it says this. It says, from Issachar, 
men who, what is this word? Understood the times and knew what Israel should do. There were 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. I just find it fascinating that they would throw this in there around everyone else bringing all the stuff ready for battle and for war. But these men played a part because they understood their city. They understood how to engage their city. They knew what they needed, and they said, hey, here's what we need to do. Here's how we need to engage them. And see, the truth is this, that we, you, have to understand the needs of the people around you in order to be a good neighbor. You can't be a good neighbor until you understand what people are going through and the needs that they have. And here's the deal. When we understand the needs, then we do what God told us to do, which is love him and love others. That's what we do. Now, there's more specifics in that, and I know you all are working on plans to engage Bristol, but this is huge. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says this. I, I love this passage because it talks about community. It talks about neighbors, and so it says this. Keep on loving one another as your brothers and sisters. And then it says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. There's two essential observations that I want you to kind of see. And if you have your bulletin, I think this is on the back if you want to write these down. But it's this, that in the first verse, it says, keep on. Keep on loving one another. And so what does this show us? This shows us that there is already love in the Christian community. Like the, he's writing to an audience of people who are a part of the Christian community. He says, hey, don't stop. Keep on loving your brothers and sisters. And so we have to understand that, man, we have to welcome our Christian neighbors and love them. And we have to welcome the strangers, because in the second verse, it says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. I love the first part, because oftentimes we can get this mixed up. We can think, oh man, we have to just go get everybody that doesn't know Jesus. Yes, that's true, but we have to love this group too. We have to welcome this group and love this group and be good neighbors to this group as well, because in the passage, if you translate, you can translate that, that phrase, keep on, as don't allow anything to interrupt you from loving your Christian community. No argument, no disagreement, no opinion, whatever that is, don't allow anything to stand in the way of the love that you have for one another. Now, there will be arguments and disagreements and different opinions, but he wants us to know, hey, you can't stop loving your Christian community. And then he goes on to say, hey, don't forget to welcome the strangers, because if you do that, we might as well not be here. Don't forget to welcome the strangers. And a lot of times we can uh, get ourselves in trouble with this because we don't welcome the strangers. And oftentimes it's people that look different than us. It's people that we don't truly understand. But we have to understand that in James chapter 2 that it says this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the believers, us. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, come sit with me. Here's a seat. Let's come sit with me. But say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there. 
or sit on the floor by my feet? Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, I tell our church this all the time. We aren't the judge. God is. And so our role as good neighbors, our role as people who engage those who don't know Jesus is to love them and to serve them with all that we have. And when we do that, we leave everything else up to God. We say, God, we may not agree with their lifestyle. We may not agree with how they dress. We may not agree with all those things. But, God, you said to love them and then leave it up to you on what you're going to do with them. That's our role. Obedience is our job. Outcome is God's job, ultimately. And we have to understand that if we're going to engage strangers, if we're going to engage our neighbors, engage Bristol, that we're going to interact with people that don't go to church here. We're going to go interact with people who have never been in church before, that they don't know they're supposed to wear a tie to church. They don't know how you take communion. They don't know how all that stuff happens. And so we have to be a people in a church, not just Central Christian, but all throughout the world where we say we're going to engage every single person. It doesn't matter who they are or what they know about Jesus because sometimes we get this, we fall into this trap of believing that non-believers in Jesus should know what we know and they should live by our standards. I mean, I think that's a good thought. But if they don't know it, then we can't expect it to happen. And so we have to be like Jesus to others so that they can know the expectation, so that they can know what's happening. And so when we're going to welcome strangers, man, we have to be people who don't show favoritism but do everything that we can to love them. Matthew 25 says this, and this this is key, this is crucial. It says this. It says, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, pay attention to the distinct difference here, those on his right, those on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to drink or eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In the previous passages in James, I think whenever I mentioned the, the man with the gold and the man who didn't have anything, we probably all had a picture of who that was in our head, didn't we? We know those two different people, and, and, and I think maybe we would consider that person uh, the least of these. But Jesus says, if you don't serve them, then you're missing the point. He says, you have to serve the least of these, or what society deems as the least of these. Remember, your job is to love, and so he says, if you want to be a good neighbor, if you want to engage Bristol, then you have to find the people who others aren't serving and serve them. And here's the opposite of this, because he goes on and he says, to those on the left, he'll say to those on the left, depart from me, 
you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Pay attention. Then they will go away to eternal what? Punishment. That's not what we want. That's not what the church is called to to be a part of. The church is supposed to be the people who live right, the righteous, to eternal life. That's what we want to be a part of. But in order to get that, we have to serve those who don't know Jesus. Listen, we have to understand the city. Just like those men from Issachar, they understood the city. They knew what was coming up. They knew what people needed, and they knew what to do. And the truth is, is that if we don't welcome strangers... Might as well not be here. You know, God is so good that he opened his arms and welcomed you and me. We all have our own past. We all have our own story. But God said, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son to die for you. And I'm going to welcome you into the family of believers, which is what we get to be a part of when we come here on Sunday mornings. But he also says, don't forget. Don't forget to welcome the strangers. Don't forget to welcome the people who don't know me because the truth is we were all there once. And somebody was a really good neighbor to you and me and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love on you. Jesus was really good about having meals with people. You see it all throughout Scripture. And man, how many, anybody have three meals a day? Maybe some of you have more. <laughs> understand. Maybe some less. But oftentimes throughout Scripture, we see Jesus eating meals with people. It was just a common occurrence. And why did we see it so much? It was because meals happen every day. It's just easy for us to invite people over for meals. And man, I'm grateful for the the community that I was given in college because somebody understood our need and welcomed their home to us. And Jesus did the exact same thing. And you saw different moments where he was eating meals with his disciples. And they had to eat meals together. They were with each other a lot. And I can imagine around that table, Jesus encouraged them and challenged them and poured into them and loved on them. But there were also moments throughout Scripture where Jesus would eat with sinners. He would have meals with sinners. In those meals, you know, he would be around the table with tax collectors who would take money from people. He would have meals with prostitutes and uh, just everybody that would be an outcast in society. And Jesus would do that. And isn't it interesting that the the people who were religious said, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Jesus said, this is who I'm supposed to be with. And if we're all honest, and I can be honest, I'd probably have this opinion sometimes too. But if we saw one of us sitting around the table with an outcast at lunch tomorrow, what would we think? What would, what would we say? Oh, what are you doing? Don't you know what they've 
done. That's what they did to Jesus. But Jesus says, that's who you go after. You have to understand what they need. You have to pour into them. And the truth is, is that if we want to be a church that engages Bristol, we want to be a, a church in general that engages our community, we have to be people who says, I don't care what everyone else says. I'm going to do my job like Jesus told me to do and welcome the strangers. And so who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Who are you going to invite to the table? There's a story at the end of the book of John where uh, Peter, out fishing in a boat, Jesus had gone to the cross, and now he's back. And Peter and his men, there were a couple of disciples, a couple of other guys out in a boat. They had went out one night, and it came to early morning, and they had been out there for a really long time. It didn't catch a fish, a single one. And so they were probably frustrated. And there was a man on the shore, and he kind of called out to him. He said, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And I would think, are you serious? Really? <laughs> like, it's not like there's something dividing the, the waters where there's fish on this side and not on that side, but they do it anyways. And it says in John that they pulled in 153 large fish. And I think for that, you know, God is also just kind of testing us and saying, hey, do you trust what I'm telling you to do? And we have to do that too when we engage Bristol and understand our city and engage them. But it's interesting because Peter hops out of the boat and swims back to Jesus. And the other guys kind of follow back in on the boat. But we have to understand some context here. Peter, Peter had just denied Jesus three times. One of his own disciples. A guy that he had sat around the table with multiple times as a disciple. He ended up denying Jesus before he went to the cross. anybody know what Jesus was doing when he got there? He was cooking breakfast on the beach. After this week, I wish I was cooking breakfast on the beach. Amen? But it's just interesting that Jesus would invite Peter back to the table. Somebody who had wronged him. Somebody who denied that he even existed and that they knew him. And so I want to challenge you with this thought, we have to intentionally pursue our neighbors. Intentionally pursue your neighbor. And when we're intent about something, we're intentional about something, that means that we have to have a plan. There has to be a course of action. And pursue means that we're going after them. <laughs> so we have to intentionally pursue them. We have to love on them with everything that we have, and, and the truth is this, that if we don't do this, then we know what Jesus told us in Matthew. He says, depart. If you don't engage your neighbors or strangers, depart from me. You didn't serve me. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. As you came in the room, you should have gotten a little piece of paper um, that said engage Bristol. If you didn't get that, that's okay. Write it on, put it on your phone, put it on your bulletin if you have that. But here's what I want to challenge you with this week. And this is something that we've challenged our church to do. Invite somebody to a meal. Because here's what happens when we invite people to meals. Oftentimes when we do this, it uh, opens conversation because you can't small talk around an hour at a meal. 
You've got to get a little intentional. And so invite somebody. Hebrews tells us, hey, keep on loving this group. Keep on loving your brothers and sisters. Don't allow anything to interrupt it. And so maybe you're going to invite somebody from this room to a meal this week at your house. Make it easy. Get little Caesars. If you don't cook, have somebody else bring something. Make it easy. But one of the best ways we can grow with one another and love one another is by having those meals because it's something we do every day. Just invite people along the journey. That's what Jesus did when he said, come and follow me. That's what he did. And so maybe you're inviting those people. Maybe you want to invite a stranger to the table. Maybe it's a couple people. Maybe it's two or three couples, whatever it is. But when you do things around the table, it changes your life. Jesus did it. In Scripture, I've experienced it in my own life. Because we have to have community. And when we're in community and we are on the same page, then it makes it a lot easier to engage person. So intentionally pursue your neighbors with all that you have, with everything that you have. Because that's what he calls us to. And so write down a couple names. And don't just write them down, but as you leave here, give them a call or shoot them a text. Say, hey, let's get a meal. No agenda, just to love on each other. That's it. Engage Bristol. Intentionally pursue your neighbors. Because that's what Jesus calls us to. He welcomed us. We welcome others. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be in the room. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. God, without your word, it would be hard for us to know how to live. It would be hard for us to know what to do. But God, you're good. You've shown us examples throughout scripture of how we need to love one another and engage one another. And God, I pray that we can do the same thing that we see that early church do of engaging the people right where they were, understanding their needs, understanding the things that they were going through, understand the, the biggest issues that they were struggling with. And what the early church did was said, you know what, I see you have a need, and I have the opportunity to meet it. And that's how so many people came to know Jesus. God, allow us to understand Bristol and engage them the best we can. God, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.